So here we are now in our second session of verse 14, trying to understand what the meaning of Christmas is for Christians, even though I'm aware that lots of you will be watching this in the middle of the year rather than the end of the year, and I'm just glad you're here because I think what we're about to see will change whatever part of the year you're in. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Father, whether we're in March or July or September or wherever we are, would you grant that we would see your glory through the word of the eyewitness apostle John, just like Jesus prayed we would in John seventeen twenty. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see that in a minute, by the way, that text in John 17, 20, where Jesus prays for us. Yes, us, as we're watching this right now. So what we saw last time was that God is the Word and that He became flesh, the God-man, and that He dwelt among us, drew near and made himself accessible. And now there are two more things I want us to see. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son. And you remember last time I made sure that we didn't fall into any kind of distortions of the idea of the Son of God by ripping it out of its context and saying, oh, if God has a son, he must have had sex with Mary, and Mary has a baby, and now the baby is this strange mixture of human and God because that's the way you get a God-man. You have a God who's a daddy and a human who's a mommy, and then you get a man who comes into existence as the God-man. That's precisely the opposite of what this context says because it's the Word who was the Son and the Word we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 and 3, was that the Word was with God in the beginning and the Word was God. This, this, this Son did not come into being at the Incarnation. This Son has been there from the beginning and was with God as long as there has been God, which is forever, and He has been God and been with God. And so don't don't confuse Son. Son simply means that God the Father has had a perfect image of Himself who is himself standing forth as a distinct person with God and yet very God, and that Son becomes flesh. And now we saw that one, two, three last time, and now four, we see that this Son has a glory 
And we have seen the glory. And the glory of the Son is the glory of the Word, who is the glory of God. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the Son from the Father. And the Son is the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word is God. And therefore, we have seen God's, God's glory. This is astonishing. You have seen If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God's glory. And I I would use the phrase, um, let's do this in red, transcendent beauty. Transcendent radiance. Trying to define the term glory. The divine, transcendent beauty. If you behold Jesus, you see divine, transcendent beauty and the radiance of God. You might ask, but we aren't there to see him. So how can we see that glory in Jesus? And you might think you're at a disadvantage Let me point you to two passages of Scripture. Here's Paul. The God of this world, that's that's Satan, the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The, The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, that's the glory of the Son, the glory of the Word, the glory of Christ, who is the Son of God, the Word. And it's called the light of the gospel of the glory. And so the point here is that in the gospel, that is, in the the narrated events of the doings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the narrated events called gospel, you see glory. You don't have to be there in order to see it. In fact, Jesus is praying in John 17, 20, I do not pray for these only who see me, who are the eyewitnesses, but also for John Piper and those who are watching this. I'm praying for them now, 2,000 years before they existed. I'm praying for them who will believe in me through their word. It's through the word that John expects us to see the glory of God. Jesus inspired John to write this letter in order that by the gospel of the letter and in the words of the letter, I'm sorry, not the letter, the gospel, we might see the glory of God. In fact, I would argue, see if you agree with this, that we um, are not at a disadvantage compared to the eyewitnesses. I think we are at an advantage who, who were among those eyewitnesses? Well, Judas, Pharisees, crowds crying, crucify him, crucify him. They had seen them. Judas saw everything Jesus did, and he didn't see any glory. 
He, he was not compelled by anything. The Pharisees saw him do miracles and they wanted to kill him. The crowd saw him and they wanted to crucify him. There was no advantage to being there. Because we now don't have a disadvantage. We see the whole story, the whole gospel laid out for us in an inspired book which is vastly more full and beautiful and rich than it could be being there. Which is, This is one of the reasons why Jesus said it's better if I go away than if I stay. So, we don't have any disadvantage in seeing the glory of God. We All we have to do is read the Gospel of John. And we can throw in Matthew and Mark and Luke and Romans and First and Second Corinthians and all the other inspired books where the glory of the Lord is revealed in such amazing fullness. And when we see that glory, what do we see? Full, full of grace and truth. We see reality. true truth this this glory is the measure of all truth if you want to know what's true about anything bring it into the light of the glory of god and you will see it for what it really is everything about science or physics or biology or about art or about history or about philosophy or about anthropology or about anything else in the world is not truly known until it is seen in connection with, in the light of the glory of God. And wonder of wonders, within this reality, God's heart is gracious toward us. So what is Christmas? Number one, Christmas is the Word is God. Number two, Christmas is the Word, God became the God man. Number three, He came near. He dwelt among us. Number four. He reveals his divine glory for us to see. And number five. What we see is that this glory gives truth to the ignorant and the deceived and the blind. And it gives wonder of wonders, best of all, grace to the guilty. That's what grace means, right? grace to the guilty. And I suppose for those of us who feel at Christmas time or any other time of the year sinful and guilty before God to know that he came to reveal the glory, that glory is the truth of all things 
and at the heart of that truth is a gracious disposition of our maker toward us has got to be the best news in all the world. That's what Christmas is.